This is the OK Outcast Podcast, your home for Oklahoma political intrigue and insight. Hey folks, welcome to OK Outcasts. I'm coming through you to a, from a cannon far below the earth. Because, unfortunately, we have technical difficulties. See, I'm having technical difficulties. But I'm here with my co-host, Brittany Devotny. And, Brittany, other than the fact that we had a technical error, how are things in your world? Hey, Chris, it's not too bad. You know, living off-grid sometimes, uh, not every item you need is always charged up at the right time. So, my apologies, but... uh, you know, we are coming to you powered by the sun, so we are very green on the podcast. Um, and, uh, yeah, at least it's a nice day up here. <laughs> uh, well, that's awesome. Um, I'm living happily on the grid, just killing the earth, and it's wonderful. Um, <laughs> just uh, like a Republican. Just like a Republican, uh, gotta be true to the brand. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we've had a great weekend. Um, the weather's been cooler, but a little muggy, uh, which is not optimal. But hey, it's the weather, and we got a lot of uh, fun projects done this weekend. We found a basically a piece of trash by the side of the road, not by the side of the road on our street. Um, this really nice granite countertop piece of furniture. And, uh, we kind of refurbished it this weekend and now it's our outdoor herb garden. So rather than going to a landfill, it's living a second life in the outdoors. Man, I love it when you can find stuff that you can upcycle like that and actually, find a use for, you know, one person's trash is another person's treasure. Well, it's going to be a cute little herb garden. We've already got basil set on top of it. So, yeah, Um, it doesn't get to live inside anymore, but uh, it lives a second life and it's not taking up space in a landfill. Hey, and you can't you can't take it for granted. Uh, Hey. with the puns this one <laughs> well, um, what is new i've i've kind of been following along on social media there is a lot going on in oklahoma um before we get to our twitter question um let's touch base on the arpa funds uh i saw that governor stitt vetoed a few of the fund bills uh he of course signed the anti-trans bill like as fast as he could, but he he vetoed some stuff for like emergency, uh, emergency alert funding for a new OETA tower and some things like that. Um, is is the House and Senate going to come back and override those, or what's going on there? They're certainly not coming back. Uh, to call of the chair, the call of the chair is uh, keep campaigning. Um, the House put out a statement, and the Senate put out a statement. A call was a little fiercer than a treat, 
But Speaker McCall, as I've stated in previous broadcasts, um, is a vampire. <laughs> so, so, uh, so he's always a little more fierce. Uh, always. Um, his very demeanor is intimidating. Um, I was working a bill and happened to run into him and uh, um, I asked him, you know, what can our group do for you? And he said, keep the Democrats out of my way. I was like, absolutely. I will do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I don't know that I did that, but we certainly came to a negotiation and uh, Leader Virgin and Speaker McCall were able to um, come to an agreement. So it's always good to see when people can work on both sides of the aisle. Um, so, yeah. But no, they are not. It appears coming back until normal session. So um, the Oklahoma is going to be without a legislature running until February, where it will look very different. We're not quite sure what it's going to look like. Yeah, and from from what I could see, it looked like the way Senator Treat talked about it um, was that, you know, they're just going to wait for the next session and next administration, kind of. Like, he didn't, he didn't in so many words say it, but it definitely signaled, like, there is some expectation among the political establishment that uh, maybe old Governor Stitt won't necessarily be back. I uh, completely agree. The, the other factor is the House wanted to do some, uh, use some of the funds for inflation reduction purposes and it was an honest starter in the senate so um so you know they're not gonna come back in the middle of campaign season when they don't even have an agreement on what they want to do <laughs> i wouldn't even call it the middle i'd call it approaching the finish line of campaign season right so yeah um it, it's I think a combination of factors. So why come back uh, right now when there's nothing to be done? Let's all just sit and argue with each other while we should be on the campaign trail. Right. Yeah. No, nobody wants to waste their, their key campaign time arguing in the legislature, I'm guessing. <laughs> so, um, I'm not sure how I want to transition this, but uh, do you want to take the Twitter question first, or yeah, let me um, let me read you the Twitter question because I have a feeling this is going to segue into the other things we wanted to talk about today. Sure. Uh, our listener Matthew Welch reached out and said he has two questions. First, what do we think of the recent polls in Oklahoma that show Hoffmeister leading Stitt? And second, can you explain what's going on with Stitt and the governor's mansion situation? Well, uh, I will answer the first question first and the second question second. 
Um, uh, Stitt is, I, I did an average of all the polling data I was able to get my hands on. And so I kind of just averaged it out. And so uh, Joy is sitting at about 47, Stitt's sitting at about 43. Um, and then we have our uh, secondary candidates and our undecideds. So um, it, it does appear that Joy is heavily favored to be in the lead here, which is absolutely amazing. Um, it, while we're on the, the subject of polling, do you want to just run through the rest of them? Um. Yeah. Or, what What else do What else are we seeing? Like, I know there's kind of almost like a slate of Democrats kind of working together in Oklahoma this election. Um, I Jenna's kind of working with Joy. How's Jenna Nelson looking now? Um, and let's not forget Kendra's in the mix too. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, the ladies have. Formed a slate-ish. Um, it's not a true coalition. Um, it's uh, more of a loose confederation, which is appropriate for Oklahoma. Um, but what's interesting, you mentioning things about slates, is they were very out of vogue until about 2008. I mean, they, they used to be super popular in the 60s and early 70s, but uh, there came a point in time when everybody just ran their own stuff and did not touch each other. So um, it seems to be making a comeback. Uh, I worked on, I worked for a consulting firm that did work for Obama's campaign in uh, Nebraska. Uh, called Project 10,000, and we actually did a slate of candidates there because uh, their laws allow for um, a combination GOTV, like door hanger or mailer, and, and, but you have to have three candidates on it. So we kind of figured out that loophole and ran a slate there. But yeah, slates are making a comeback, and I think it's cool. Well, and it seems like a good way to handle, you know, uh, a, a limited pool of resources. If you can, you know, work together with like-minded candidates to help, you know, defray some of those costs and make it more easy for each of them to get their message out. Um, now, you know, I know, up, like up here in Minnesota, it's pretty common for candidates to kind of work together like that and it has been you know all the years that i've been up here for the last six years so um you know i don't know what it looked like before but it seems to just be kind of the common way of things here yeah it, it, it's uh it's really interesting how and we might have time to get to this later about how all the different states vary so wildly differently um so so just in conclusion on question one for matt um you know the the average of the polls it sounds like you know really does show that lead to be true um you know something i mentioned in one of our earlier episodes was that 
this governor's election looked like it was going to lining up, kind of lining up to be the tribes versus the oil guys. And it's my understanding that the five largest tribes in Oklahoma today, Tuesday, October 11th, will be announcing a joint endorsement of Joy Hoffmeister for governor, which is apparently something they haven't done in recent history. Um, so that's kind of a big deal, yeah? It is a very big deal. And um, it's sort of been known inside political circles, but it is a big deal for it to come out more in the public eye. Um, it's uh, really exciting to see the tribes getting involved in, not that they have never, they've always been involved in Oklahoma politics, but coming out as a group of the largest fivest tribe, the large fivest tribes, um, the five largest tribes, um, it, it's, it's really a powerful thing. And uh, if you live in Oklahoma, you know, definitely, you definitely know about, uh, a lot of native how how important the native culture is to our state um and reservation dogs being filmed here and showing i mean they don't say muskogee creek but it is muskogee creek um and showing what what that life looks like and i i really think that the uh, native culture in Oklahoma is just an integral part to what Oklahoma is. So I'm I'm super happy to see it. And as you know, I've done a lot of work for the tribes in campaigns and elections. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I could not be more excited. And um, Yeah, and to me, this signals that they, you know, typically, I think they've tried to stay somewhat nonpartisan and not necessarily making a lot of endorsements because generally they want to be able to, you know, curry favor with either side and, you know, be able to keep a working relationship going. But it seems that after the four years of Stitt just basically pissing on the tribes at every opportunity, they feel like we got nothing to lose. We either take him out or we can't work with him anyway. It, that, that's definitely part of it. But I, uh, I feel really good about joy. Um, but do we want to go to the second part of the question before I get into uh, bragging on my girl, Jenna Nelson, who I'm super stoked about? Yeah, let's um, let's talk briefly because I did some research on this last night after the question came in, and I had trouble finding anything about this. Uh, what is going on with the governor's mansion situation? So, like most people on Sunday morning, woke up and thought, I need to watch Flashpoint. I mean, that's what most people do, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, if you don't know Flashpoint, it's a political show hosted by Kevin Ogle, 9.30 Sunday morning, and political nerds watch it. So, Well, Oklahoma City metro area political nerds, because I don't know if it plays in the Tulsa area or not. Well, if you have working internet, then it does. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you have to catch it the next day. But yes, I, I, I bet the viewership was greater on the internet. 
But anyhow, um, they teased uh, a six million secret project for a six million dollar mansion, and they teased it a lot. And uh, we can get a little bit more into um, Todd Lamb's reaction to that, but we'll save that for a little bit here. Um, so the guy that was um, like, it was like a three, four second clip. Basically, uh, Representative Logan Phillips said this administration hates transparency. So um, Representative Logan Phillips um, is a Republican, and he did a whole lot of public information requests. He was just, he, he, he wants, he's very, he was, he's public about how pro-transparency he is. So uh, Governor Stitt ran a um, candidate against him in a primary, in his primary, who beat him. So he will not be a representative after November. Uh, but in he, the meantime, he just wasn't MAGA enough, huh? <laughs> no, he had this crazy idea that he wanted to see government transparency, and he voted his conscience. Um, that's just not the Republican way, you know. But and, well, not the current Republican way, that's for sure. I'd sure like it to get back to Republican classic again, though. <laughs> I would too, honestly. But, um, you know, it's interesting. So this secret $6 million mansion that's supposed to be a new governor's mansion is separate than the renovation from the OG governor's mansion, which is separate from the governor's other huge, gigantic mansion. And uh, so... Now, I do get the inclination of why a rich guy would not want to live in the governor's mansion, because you, uh, you're you under heavy scrutiny. I mean, we saw that with Mary Fallon letting her um, daughter live in a uh, trailer behind the mansion. I personally didn't care, but a lot of people did. I mean, it, it was against the rules. I think that was probably a bit overblown, but, you know, it was also, you know, people were looking for angles of attack as they do in politics, and, you know, it is what it is, but yeah, I tend to agree that was an overblown deal, and voters didn't really seem to care. They do not, uh, and yeah, it, it was a silly thing to do, but anyhow, but rules like that make a guy that's a multimillionaire think, well, I'm going to go ahead and build myself another house that is five times as large and on a sprawling estate. Um, so, I mean, he does have a lot of kids. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, it, uh, it, it, if, if you've ever been to the governor's mansion and I think you have Brittany, yep. um, it's like a museum. Um, like I think Ben Franklin installed the electricity in there, uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's old rusty pipes. It 
smells vaguely mildewy all over the place. You know, when Governor Fallon tried to put in a hot tub, it just didn't really work because the plumbing wasn't set up for it. Well, it it um, did smell mildewy, but I my understanding is that ta- you know millions of dollars of taxpayer funds were just recently spent in 2019 and 2020 to do a bunch of renovations there. Is that not accurate? That is accurate. So I I point. I personally haven't been to the governor's mansion in like at least six or seven years, so I don't know what it's like now after those renovations. If those renovations did in fact transpire, or that money was slowly piling up in a slush fund, just speculating here. Well, um, and you know, with a with an administration that's not transparent, what do we know? <laughs> Well, we will know something um, uh, at the 10 o'clock tonight. Um, so um, I plan on watching the story. Uh, I don't know that you're going to be able to watch it, Brittany, even if you wanted to, which you probably don't because. Uh, I'm sure I will find it online tomorrow um, <laughs> once it's once it's hit the interwebs. Yes. So what, what's, what's funny is I have to watch it. We, we have a little TV and a big TV. And our little TV, we actually have a broadcast antenna on because the streaming services don't serve up local channels. So I'll have to watch it on the little TV. Some do. My, my YouTube TV account gets me local channels. And I believe... The new Hulu Live Plus also is saying they're offering local channels now. Yeah, I looked at that, but it's like 50 bucks a month. Um, I mean, so is cable, so... <laughs> yeah, well, whatevs. Um, but hopefully that kind of answers the question about the uh, governor's mansion, which transitions us to, as best we can, to... Uh, this episode of Flashpoint, when, um, and this this was the episode Jenna Nelson was the guest for this last week, correct? Certainly. So, but I'm going to begin with the later part of the episode first, and then cover the first part of the episode, so that we can finish up on the mansion stuff. So, um, you've been on Flashpoint. I've been to the Flashpoint set multiple times. I haven't been actually on, but I've been there. And uh, when you were there, you didn't know what commercials were playing, right? You know, it was just a break. And Yeah, there were these interesting breaks. Um, my, my situation was even more fun because there had been some kind of storm that day that knocked out some of their power. So I actually had to sit there on set with Sally Kern and Kirk Humphreys, Turpin and Kevin Ogle for like 45 minutes before we could even actually begin the show. And it was really funny because Sally Kern, despite sitting next to Kirk Humphreys, her fellow Republican, just seemed to feel completely out of place and was being kind of bitchy the whole time. So much so that at one point, um, Kirk Humphreys had to 
hand her his jacket because she kept complaining about how cold it was in there. And uh, I was, meanwhile, making making jokes and having fun and shooting the breeze with Kirk and Kevin and Mike and everybody was cool. And except for, you know, Sally really felt like the odd person out on stage. <laughs> Apparently he was too cool. That's the jacket. So let's move on. Um, a little reminiscing there. Uh, I actually played Kevin in debate prep, but, uh, so yeah, um, they played that teaser and when, Brittany was there. They didn't have a screen. Now they do, so that the people that are filming can tell uh, what's going on on the screen. Right, and right. So uh, they'd been talking about ARPA funds, and then uh, they came back from break after teasing that, and... Um, Kevin turns to uh, Todd Lamb, the uh, Republican that took over, and was like, "So, what do you think?" And he's like, "Who? Wait, what? Uh, is this is this ARPA funds? Uh, like, totally caught off guard. It was hilarious. Like, <laughs> running through the list of journalist questions, like." Who, what, why, where, how, to what extent, uh, like, um, and, uh, so let's rewind to, um, Jenna, um, who is up 48 to 40 against Ryan Walters. Ryan Walters refused to meet her on Flashpoint. They had to divide it into two episodes. Because he didn't want to be on the screen with her at the same time. Yeah, it sounds like he's afraid to be challenged by somebody who knows facts and actually can talk education policy. <laughs> and boy, could she ever. I mean, uh, Lamb tried to hit her with a couple different hardballs. The first was vouchers. And uh, she just said straightforwardly, it's no secret that I am a pro-voucher candidate. Um, they're bad for rural public schools. She didn't dance or dodge around the issue. She just said, yeah, I'm anti-voucher. And I appreciate that. Just directness, you know? Um, yeah, I, trying to... I think voters appreciate that, too, because they get tired of the mealy-mouthed non-answers. Yeah, um, and... When asked about teachers being armed, she said, yeah, we should be armed with mental health counselors. We should be armed with more teachers, more funding, um, more help for troubled students. And, uh, you know, um, Jenna was teacher of the year and uh, she, I think it's kind of refreshing to have a really good teacher running for state super and that's why she makes such a good pairing with joy who is actually a really really good superintendent i know joy gets a lot of guff for being a republican and running as a democrat she's a moderate she's right in the middle 
Well, um, and let's be real. A moderate was never going to win in a Republican primary. You know, if you nope. give the Republican primary voters a choice between a moderate and a MAGA extremist in the primary field, you're going to get MAGA extremists. So she made the only smart move she could, which was to run as a moderate in the general. Well, um, it, it, it's it, uh, she did just an excellent job. And um, Cindy Munson actually um, substituted for Turpin. And uh, she kind of chimed in, you know, I've been campaigning hard and knocking doors, something we're both familiar with. And she said, I have talked to dozens of teachers and not a single one of them wants to be armed. Uh, so I, I have to say Cindy did an excellent job. She was in her regular uniform, green dress. <laughs> so if, if you know Cindy, she is, I, I'm sorry, I should uh, say uh, Leader Munson. But if you know Cindy, um, yes, green is her favorite color, and she does not mind if everybody knows it. Hey, lean in, I say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she has. Um, uh, she has her particular shade of green, which is lovely. Um, but, yeah, uh, they they were both... Uh, both really good Todd Lamb just kept getting shut down because he had some hard balls he threw and she just caught him and threw him right back so heck yeah ladies um I I really have to give it up for um because it wasn't a performance they were both being sincere real policy was talked and I'm sure Anybody that has watched Flashpoint knows that there's so many candidates and politicians that go on that show and, as Brittany just put it, mealy-mouthed, like, well, it's a complex issue, and, you know, it's something that we need to examine and we need to keep looking at, and uh, I think we should probably do a study on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so easy to just give a non-answer so you're not offending anybody, but... I mean, if any, if there's anything that the last few years of politics has shown us, it's that uh, the folks who are willing to just say what they stand for are going to do better than the people who can't seem to stand for anything. Yeah, say what you will about Trump, but he lets you know where he's coming from, which is that of a crazy person. But, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, DeSantos makes it perfectly clear that... He hates immigrants. And yeah. uh, by the way, do you think that that stunt's going to backfire of like Texas and Florida just like busing people to liberal states? I don't I don't know that it is. It seems that that the last polling I saw on that stunt showed that like 51 percent of the country agreed with it. Like they seem to be OK with this stunt and using, you know, immigrants trying to escape communist Venezuela are apparently political chips we can use now and we can just fuck with their lives anytime we want as long as we're making a political point um, I, I thought back in the Reagan era we used to welcome people who were trying to escape 
communist hellholes, but you know, apparently now we're we're fine with just using them as bargaining chips. Do you think perhaps the view of America and Americans is not that they're being used as bargaining chips, but yeah, it's only fair that the burden gets spread out across the states. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, they they took the political point and were like, yeah, this should be, you know, spread out across the states and like which, you know, maybe it should, but you know, I don't know that you need to do that kind of an inhumane stunt to do it. Um, it just seems really gross to me, but, you know. Yeah, it, it is. No, you're right. Um, it's just, uh, I, I, I can kind of see where that's coming from. Um, wrapping the, up. The, the funny <laughs> thing is, before we leave this topic, is, you know, one of the best ways to help, you know, help our economy right now because we have all these jobs that we can't fill because, you know, everybody that wants to work is working. Um, you know, we actually need immigrants to fill some of these jobs at like fast food joints and whatnot. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for why fixing some immigration policy would actually help the economy. But, I unfortunately have heard very few people talking about it in those terms, and uh, I think we need some people to to get some backbone and find a way to to talk about immigration in a pro economy kind of way. Well, come on, Brittany. It's not like we're having a huge logistical supply chain issue at all. <laughs> uh, you know, um, even though people are losing their goddamn minds because they can't get the particular brand of organic peanut butter that they prefer. Like, um, yeah, it's yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. <laughs> okay. Enough ranting. Um, so just some other headlines, uh, Osborne for labor commissioner. She's definitely in the keeper seat. She's been doing an awesome job. And, uh, uh, Representative Kendra, who is running for U.S. Senate, um, or former representative, uh, U.S. Representative Kendra Horn, who is running for Senate, um, her numbers are ticking up. It's hard to give hard numbers on them because they're they're coming up. So it's not fair to average out her numbers. So, I mean, they're rising steadily. Um, well, and it so seems like the more she can do to keep showing herself as a slate with Jenna and Joy, the better she could do. Um, although I do get a sense that some of those Republicans who might split their tickets on things like governor and superintendent are still probably more likely to stay Republican for the Senate race because they still would prefer a Republican representing them in D.C. Um, so I don't know how much you know, her moderate bona fides will help her there. That's going to be a really interesting race to watch because Whittle Mark Wayne is uh, not exactly popular among the uh, <laughs> Republican establishment either. Um, yes, uh, he is a real piece of stint. <laughs> um, I, uh, I am not a fan, so... Um, well, didn't uh, when he ran for Congress initially, didn't he make some like 
two or three term pledge that he was not going to be a career politician. (laughs) He also got in trouble with the FEC for using campaign commercials as advertisements for his uh, plumbing company. Um, Yeah, and we, we pointed out that, you know, it looked like his plumbing company was hooking up to public water off of fire hydrants. Um, possibly stealing water. Um, That was an OK Outcast exclusive. You can find that video on our Facebook and Twitter profiles. Yeah. uh, It's... uh, Anyhow. Um, And then Pinnell, I feel like, is going to take it. Um, I mean, I'm going to be voting for Melinda, but... Um, I'm afraid that Pinnell is going to take it. And that sort of brings us to an interesting topic we were batting around, which our uh, Gov and like Gov in Oklahoma um, run completely separate campaigns, whereas in um, Minnesota, it works completely differently, right? Yeah, here they run as as a ticket, just like in the presidential race, you know, president and vice president run together here, governor and lieutenant governor run together. They're on the same ballot line. So if you vote for Tim Walls, the DFL candidate, then you're also voting for Peggy Flanagan, the lieutenant governor. Um, Or, you know, if you vote Republican, you're voting for Jensen and Matt Burke. Um, as a ticket, and you'll see the signs are all Walls, Flanagan, Jensen, Burke. So it's very much like the presidential race here. I think that's interesting, and I found it so interesting. I did a little research, because um, that's what political consultants do. Um, so you kind of pose the question, so is there a case where uh, the like Gov and the governor have been different. And that has happened in Louisiana, North Carolina, and Vermont. Um, It's also interesting to note that in eight states, including Alaska, um, New York, Massachusetts, Wisconsin, um, the like Gov and the Gov run separate primaries. But then whoever wins the primary gets stuck on the same ballot together in the general. I thought oh, that, that that's interesting because then they're of the they are maybe of the same party, but it's not necessarily the gov's first choice for his backup. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. I I find it fascinating, you know, the laboratories of democracy kind of thing of like how, you know, different laws are. I mean, I don't know how voting works in Alaska exactly. I assume it involves snow and whales somehow. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I think you have to ride a whale to the polls. But um, yeah, it's uh, completely fascinating. And. Um, you know, I don't think we've touched on this yet, but I thought it might be interesting to talk a little bit about 
um, President Biden's executive order. Oh, yeah. Um, on the uh, pardoning simple possession cases at the federal level. So and I know there were thousands of marijuana possession convictions that he has issued some kind of blanket pardon on. Um, now, this obviously doesn't affect state issues, which is really where the majority of simple marijuana possession gets handled as at the state level. But he did call on, you know, governors and states to kind of follow his lead on this. And he's also asked the uh, Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security and the uh, Health and Human Services Secretary to work together with the Attorney General to look at descheduling marijuana out of Schedule 1. So that's up to the AG? Um. I've heard some various positions on this, and I don't know for certain what the exact right one is here, but I've heard that he could just do it by executive order, and that this seems like it's kicking the can down the road, but I've seen in other places that it may actually require congressional involvement to fully deschedule it. Um, so I'm not 100% certain what the right answer is there, but... He definitely tried to signal ahead of November that that Dems are working on decriminalizing marijuana federally. Well, it's October surprise after October surprise. We've got a athlete that has apparently just been knocking up all kinds of women, but he is against abortion, but paying for abortion um i mean oh don't even get me started on herschel walker man uh minnesotans do not like that guy (laughs) um he was he was actually the running back for the vikings back in the 80s um and they got fleeced in some big trade where because he got traded from the Cowboys to the Vikings, and the Vikings gave up a bunch of draft picks to get him, and all those draft picks went on to be the core of the Dallas Cowboys' three-time Super Bowl championships in the 90s. So people up here, not big fans of Herschel Walker. (laughs) Maybe that's where he learned to... uh... Make sure and knock up as many women as possible. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, that, that that's where a politician just takes this hardline stance, like against abortion, after just committing them pell mell. Um, but yeah, uh, I, usually it is the October surprise. And I feel like this October has been October surprise season. Yeah, I mean, between this governor's mansion stuff that sounds like more, a lot more details will be coming out tonight. Um, In Minnesota, we've had our own version of an October surprise with this big fraud investigation into this uh, Feeding Our Future nonprofit that was getting a lot of the 
COVID relief funds to help set up, you know, food sites around the state, but sounds like maybe they were involved in some fraudulent dealings and the Republicans here have been trying to smear the Democrats with that, but that doesn't seem to be working as, uh, you know, what's really stood out here. This is a very pro-choice state, um, and the Republicans nominated a governor candidate who's very anti-choice, and so the Dems have been hammering that in ad after ad after ad, to the point that right now the 538 polling average shows Democrat Tim Walls at 49 and Republican Scott Jensen at 39. So Jensen does not seem to be catching on with the majority here. Well, despite uh, Mr. Silver um, not getting the... Um, Trump-Hillary race even remotely correct. Um, I still trust his polling more than I trust most. Because... Well, it's a polling average, so it's, you know, looking at all the polls. And, and, and honestly, you know, I think it's different when you're looking at the presidential race because, you know, just because the national polls show one thing, because of the electoral college, there's just so many more variables at play. I mean, I also think that the MAGA voters are unpollable. Yeah, um, they're they're definitely harder to capture. They don't trust pollers. They don't they don't answer those calls. They're not going to give correct, you know, real answers to those questions. Yeah, it, it's uh, any extreme group, uh, and that's what swayed it clearly, um, and. As these presidential races get tighter, tighter and tighter, uh, and you know all the polling we've discussed today, I want to put a disclaimer on that. Um, we we try and predict the future and make calls, but we are not wizards. I mean, it's like you're a lawyer, but if I uh, go commit some crime. You can't just like magically make it go away. I mean, I, I, as my understanding is, you lawyers are not like issued magic wands like Hogwarts or something. That is that is correct. We we are we don't have a magic wand that we can wave and just make the law go our way. <laughs> as said, as the former president's uh, lawyers are finding out time and again. <laughs> man, there. It, 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 it's like just run out the clock, run out the clock, run out the clock. <laughs> that is that is all they know how to do right now, and they're doing a good job at it to the best of their ability. But yeah, they they aren't necessarily making strong legal arguments. <laughs> uh, no, um... but they know how to keep pounding the table and making more arguments. <laughs> Well, it doesn't help that they got hurt that they got a shill of a judge for their case. Yeah, and it seems they definitely shopped that. They apparently, from what I've now learned of that situation and how they got before that judge in Florida, was they literally went and hand filed their documents in the one courthouse where she's the only federal judge to be assigned. Oh, oh. 
so that even if it was a quote-unquote random assignment, since there was only one judge to assign it to, you know, that's that's why it got assigned to her. Had they filed in the other district, which would actually have been more appropriate, they would have just done it electronically and then been electronically assigned a random judge. But they went and intentionally hand-filed in the one place they knew that wouldn't happen to them. Tricky, tricky. Yep. <laughs> well, I mean, you gotta admire the strategy. If you, uh, uh, I, I def, you know, I definitely on on one hand, I do admire the strategy, legally speaking. Um, you know, but it also it's it's these kind of games that I see why it makes the rest of the general public feel like the law applies differently to the rich than it does to themselves. And I think that's, that's because that's true. Yeah, well it is, but I think it's very harmful to the rule of law generally that that continues to be highlighted so brightly. Yeah. Um, I, uh, used to hang out with a bunch of rich kids and uh, yes, the law definitely applied to them differently. Yep. Um, dodging DUIs, dodging rape cases. Um, yep. I, we we all know it, but man, it sucks to have it just stuffed in our faces every day. And I, I gotta believe that has some role in why crime is up generally. Is that there's just you know as people see that time and again, that just gives them less respect for the law and. I think we've got to rein that in if we're going to make America um live right up again. to <laughs> live up to its uh its ideas and ideals. <laughs> make America great again. Yeah. <laughs> um let's my my motto is let's try and make America not suck so much. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, on that note, we've had a pretty long episode here. Is there anything else we needed to go over before we let our listeners go on their merry way? Uh, yeah, we've gone on too long. Brittany, you have a great rest of your day. All right, Chris, it's been good catching up with you. Um, everybody will be back next week with a whole lot more, and hopefully we'll know even more about this whole Governor Mansion deal. Uh, once the story breaks, it's going to go big. All right, guys. Uh, go big or go home, everyone. <laughs> good morning, good afternoon, and good night. Adios.